Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. You know, two weeks ago on that celebration of our anniversary, our birthday, whatever you want to call it, after the service was over, um, the floor here was full of confetti. After the service was over, I was walking through and seeing all that confetti, and the thought occurred to me that the people who earned that confetti didn't get to see the confetti. There are a lot of people who made big commitments, commitment to serve, commitments to give, commitments to be a part of the family, to attend and and be a part of what was happening here for 150 years. And most of the people that earned it, most of the people that were fully committed, didn't get to see the confetti. The next day I, I came in And the first thing I did was to go over to Welcome Center A, the exit that Welcome Center A. We have a little monument there, a little statue that depicts Joshua and Caleb. Uh, We're going to talk about Joshua today, but the passage we're looking at today is is right at the end of his life. And the, the statue, the little monument that we have actually depicts something that's one of the first appearances we have of Joshua in the Bible. And it's actually when he was sent as a spy uh, into the into the promised land to, to deter, discern what was there. And he and Caleb come back and they're carrying these large grapes because they knew the people wouldn't believe them if they came back and just told them. They said, we got to bring it with us so you'll believe us how great things are. And they, that statue was put there in memory of some people who were fully committed to Jesus and fully committed to the mission of First Baptist Orlando. And, and they gave and they served. And I knew those people. Kathy Enfinger was is named there and she was a teenager who died of cancer during that season and she used her short life as a testimony for the grace of God and gave her testimony in so many places. I saw many people follow Jesus because of the way Kathy Enfinger was totally committed to Jesus and Andy Yaros and Margie Price were two people who served here in our church and gave sacrificially to help us do everything that we did. And the spaces that we have now are due in part to their generosity. And I knew Mr. Yaris. And I knew Mrs. Price. I didn't call them by their first names. I was a kid. You know, I've been privileged. I've been in this church since 1969. I was seven years old. I wasn't on staff in 1969, but I was here, second grader. I've been privileged. It's humbling to know the giants of the faith who preceded us that were totally committed to Jesus and totally committed to his work here at First Baptist Orlando. And it occurs to me that commitment comes before confetti. Commitment is what created the opportunity for confetti. And we didn't get here without people being fully committed to Jesus and fully committed to his purposes through First Baptist Orlando. And that monument reminded me of that, and then I came in here and I picked up some confetti to remind me. This didn't get here without a lot of commitment of a lot of people 
giving sacrificially, serving sacrificially, being so committed to Jesus that it changed everything about them. So it changes everything about us today. And we're going to look at this passage in the book of Joshua because he outlines it. He actually, Joshua is actually making a commitment and he declares it. We're going to read that in a minute. He also challenges us and others to make a commitment. And Again, we're gonna look at this and I'm gonna talk to us about the commitments that we're making next week. I think this passage is very relevant for that, but it's also relevant for any commitment that you have to make. Maybe you're trying to discern even a relational commitment or a job commitment or just a commitment about something you wanna do in your life. Something that that life is challenging, you gotta do better at something. The, The process that Joshua goes through helps us to understand how is it that we make a commitment, but nothing is more important. Nothing, no commitment is as important as the commitment that you would make to follow Jesus. And some of you today may be asking questions about that. And even though Joshua lived long before Jesus, again, the ideas that he plants in how to make a commitment and what the characteristics are help us to see and understand what it means to make a commitment to follow Jesus. You know, this idea of commitment is not popular in our culture today. Uh, In our culture, people don't like commitment. We kind of want to keep all of our options open. Let me know this a little bit, but I don't want to be fully committed. And we, we shy away in our culture from being fully committed, relationally, job-wise, everything else. Everybody wants to have all of their options open, spiritually speaking. Like, I want to know about Jesus, but I don't know about him controlling me stuff. I, I, I still want to maintain control. We, we've even added vocabulary around it. I mean, the term committed, the whole, if you look up the classical definition of the word committed, it means there's no going back. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but like in college football, when a a high school athlete decides the school they're going to go to, they call it being committed. He's committed to Florida State, or he's committed to Florida, or he's committed to UCF, or she is. And then they change their mind. And they made up a word for it. You know what the word is? Decommitted. <laughs> like that can't be a word. You can't be decommitted. You weren't committed if you're decommitted, right? How do we make up words to accommodate our lack of willingness to commit? Can I remind you? The Jesus way? We are a people of commitment. We, we committed to something that's never changing. And we are a people of commitment. We are commitment-minded people. We set out on a trajectory and we're not changing. It doesn't matter if it's convenient or inconvenient. It doesn't matter what the culture says. We're set. Joshua said the same thing. I'm committed to something. You know, there's power in commitment. James, the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, who was raised in the same home with Jesus and then called him Lord. Think about that for a second. Called his brother Lord. James says this, that people who are like not fully committed are like a wave of the sea. You know, we know what waves are, right? The top of the waves go in one direction, but what's the bottom of the wave doing? It's pulling you back again. It's the undertow. And that's what it means to be not fully committed. Like you're letting the undertow affect you a little more than it should. You go, yeah, 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 I'm in. And then all of a sudden there's a little undertow pulling you back. Yeah, 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 I'm in. No, there's a little undertow pulling me back. Undertow keeps you from doing 
what God may have for you to do. And we can't let the retreat forces of the undertow keep us from doing what God has purpose for us. You know what, commitment, it creates a forward momentum that can sustain us in difficult times so that when uncertainty comes our way and we're not sure where to go, it's a, it's a Joshua-like commitment that keeps us going. And commitment also, and when there's times of prosperity, when it would be easy to get distracted and say, well, I don't know if I need God so much because I'm doing great and I got all the money I need, and I got all the influence I need. But commitment, commitment keeps us focused even in the times of prosperity and in seasons of good. So commitment steadies us when things are hard and it, it focuses us and provides clarity when things are good. It's commitment, Joshua-like commitment. So what does this commitment look like? Well, from these verses in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, we find, first of all, the commitment begins with a clear understanding of God. That's where it begins. In verse 14 of chapter 24, it says this. I'm going to read it. You follow along. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. I want us to look at four different terms that help us kind of understand and gain a clear understanding of God. Four terms. Fear, serve, sincerity, and faithfulness. And really the sincerity and faithfulness are describing the same idea. So three different ideas. First is fear the Lord. Now that's a commonly misunderstood concept or idea. It doesn't mean that God is mean and angry and a tyrant and temperamental and he's just looking for a way to punish us. It's not like he's an authority figure that's waiting to club us or, or punish us. That's not what it means, fear the Lord. Like I've got to be afraid of him. It means to revere him, to honor him, to understand his goodness. But, but God is not mean and angry and he's not temperamental. Uh, he's, in fact, the Bible uses the word love to most often describe God. He's kind and he's tender-hearted. I love the way the psalmist would say all over and over again, the psalmist describes him as gracious, compassionate, abounding in loving kindness. That's the God we serve. So this idea of fearing the Lord is, is just is, is having reverence for him. And so what does this word serve mean? So the idea of serving, you know, it's interesting. He's not saying choose if you will serve God. It's saying choose whom you will serve. So in essence, he's saying no matter what, we're going to serve someone or something. All of us. All of us have a vacancy in our heart. Every one of us. And that vacancy must be filled. So we're all going to serve a master. The question is, which master are we going to serve? And Joshua was saying, choose this day who you're going to serve. Choose. Who are you going to serve? Because all of us have a vacancy to fill. And then the terms, simplicity, excuse me, sincerity and faithfulness. The term sincere actually and, and faithfulness actually means complete, full. So what he's basically saying is there's no partial engagement. It means wholeness, complete surrender. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that when you come to Jesus or when you make a commitment to God, it's not partial. It's full surrender. Sincerity, you know what it is? It's like be, being the same here, there, and everywhere. 
It's being the same no matter where you are. It's being fully committed to something. And that's what it means. Joshua tells us if you want to if you want to be fully committed, it begins by understanding who God is and you, you revere him and you understand that, that you're going to choose. We're going to serve somebody and, and, and we're going to be fully committed, that we're sincere. It's, it's all of us that is in. And then another characteristic we find is in uh, excuse me, verse 15. Let's read that. And it says, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, and by the way, it's kind of phrased differently right there. If it's evil in your eyes, basically what that means is if it doesn't seem right to you to serve the Lord, which is what he says, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the God, gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So these two phrases, you have the option to, to, excuse me, to serve the gods of your father's or the gods of the Amorites. So what is he picturing for here? What he's saying is that if you're going to commit, it requires casting away. Re commitment requires cast something away. You gotta give up something in order to serve. He's saying you can, you can choose the gods of your fathers, you can choose the gods of the Amorites, but I'm choosing our God. And that's the declaration that Joshua makes. And so who, who, who are the gods of the fathers? Who, who is that? And they're, Nobody knows for sure, but a couple of ways to understand it. One is it can be like they're tied to tradition. They just want to do things the way they've always done it. It's what's familiar. It's the way my parents worshiped, and that's the way I want to worship. I just want to know God the way my parents do. And sometimes another variation of that is, you know, the way my parents worshiped and what they did is enough for me. The idea that my parents' faith can save me. My parents' faith is good enough for me. And he's saying, no, 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 no. You can't you can't count on what your parents did. Your parents' faith is not saving faith for you. You have to choose for yourself. We must choose. We have to commit for ourselves. And we have to cut, our way, cut ourselves away from something in order to choose God. We have to cut ourselves away from the gods of our parents. And again, sometimes we're both, my parents are followers of Jesus and I want to follow Jesus as well, but their following Jesus isn't enough for me. I got to do it myself. I can't say my parents were good enough then I get covered under their grace. No, it doesn't work that way. Nor can my children. I have to say, no, it's my faith. I have to own the faith myself. And we can't let the gravitational pull of the familiar keep us from the future that God has for us. The familiar is easy to go to. We got to say no. He said you got to cut away. You got to, you can't, you can't just have the familiar. And we, we can't be that. We do learn from the past and there's a blessing from that, but, but we can't be obligated or tied to it. And we have to decide for ourselves. Our spouse can't, our children can't, our parents can't, your employer can't. Your neighbors can't. We each have to decide for ourselves. He's saying you have to make faith your own decision. The commitment has to be yours. We also have to abandon the gods of the Amorites. And so what he's saying, that's the place where you dwell today. And you have to abandon the gods of the Amorites. You have to abandon them. And so really for us, that means who are, who are the gods of our country, the gods of our culture, where we dwell, the gods of our, the things, and you say, gods, what do you mean by that? Well, it's just the things that people pursue. Where do we put our allegiance? Where do we put our emphasis? We, we put it on comfort and success and power and money. 
Some of us put our hope in prestige and politics and wealth. Some of us pursue acceptance and control, significance and status. Those are all the things that our culture says, that's where we should pursue. And Joshua says, no, you gotta cut away those things. The, the, the word kind of means like the, the chains that you would cut, the, the, the slavery chains that you would cut to cut yourself loose from something. He's saying, don't let the culture around you determine the gods. Tim Keller says, anything that absorbs our heart more than God is what qualifies as an idol of the Amorites. What is it that controls our heart more than God or absorbs our heart more than God? We pursue all kinds of things, but when we're fully committed, we cut that. We say, I'm pursuing God. Doug Pierce, who serves as one of our pastors, told me a story this week about a friend of his who went to the movie theater and he went to buy concessions before the movie started and when he asked for popcorn and a large Coke, the guy behind the counter said, okay, we have two options on the large Coke. You can get the regular uh, Coke and a regular cup or for $2 more, you can have our plastic souvenir cup for two more dollars. He said, is it the same amount of beverage? Oh yeah, it's the same amount of beverage in both cups. He said, well, why would I pay $2 more? And the guy behind the counter thought about it for a second. He goes, status for status. <laughs> like a plastic cup is status. Sometimes I think we're trying to pay the $2 more. Just give me status. Joshua says, you want to you commit to something? Cut away. Cut the chains. You got to you got to pursue fully the commitment to God. Everything there. Let's not, let's not pursue those other things. Let's cast away. Cut ourselves free. and Pursue only God. And then again, I want to point out two phrases in this verse. Choose this day and we will serve. Both of these phrases have this indication that this is something that has a beginning, but it has no end. Like the tense that it's in, it has a, it has a start, but it doesn't end. Choose this day and we will serve. Both of the phrases mean, are, are phrased that way. So it says, choose this day. Do you know for us when this day is? It's now. And guess what? Tomorrow when you wake up, it's tomorrow. Every single day we get up and we choose this day whom we will serve. Every day is this day and it's ongoing and it's continual. So what do we do? Every single day we commit and we cast. Every single day we commit and we cast. We commit to something and we cast something away. We commit to something and we cast something away. We get up every day, we choose it again tomorrow and then the next day and the next day and the next day. And if you're like me, sometimes we've got to do it multiple times during the day. Saying, I'm reminding myself, I'm committed to this and I'm cutting away from that. I'm committed to this and I'm pushing that aside. I'm committed to this. Over and over and over again, it's saying, it's not, a, it's not just say this one time. It's saying, this is the way of life. We are committed to something and we're going with it all we have. And then lastly, another characteristic, this last one. In verse 15, he said in the last part, Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What we realize in this is that my commitment can positively influence me and the people around me. 
Joshua did something. He made a public declaration. He stood and said in front of the people, me and my house are going to serve the Lord. I call that selling tickets. He was telling people ahead of time what he was going to do later. Y'all know I like to run and, and haven't run a marathon in a while, but when I do run a marathon, I have to decide, am I going to sell tickets? Am I going to tell people ahead of time that I'm doing it, or am I going to keep it to myself so I don't have to give a report? Right? And you know what he did? He, he sold tickets. He stood in front of everybody, and he said, this is what I'm going to do. I heard somebody say, if you want to see it, say it. There's something about the public declaration of this is what I'm going to do. And he did that. He made that. And sometimes we don't realize the impact that that can have on us and on others. It's one of the reasons that we make public professions of faith. It's what Jesus called us to do. That's why we do baptisms. There's something about standing and saying, Jesus is Lord. It's a public declaration. And that's a part of why we're asking you next week to make a declaration. Now, the good news for you is you don't have to share with everybody what your number is. But you are writing it down. And you and God know. Maybe you and your spouse know. You and your children know. But somebody knows. And you've put it on a piece of paper. And you've set it out there and said, this is where I'm going. You know what you're doing? You're selling tickets to it. And that's a good, powerful thing. And next week, we're going to have a time in the service where we ask you to move and come to the front or wherever you're seated in the balcony. There'll be places where you can go drop this envelope and say, I'm in, and this is what I'm doing. And as a part of that, I'm giving extra today, next Sunday, to demonstrate that I'm participating. It's going public with it. And we're asking you to do it because of the power that can have. I was talking to my friend Frank, who's part of our church and served here for a long time, and we were trying to decide, do we, do we ask people to respond and write something down, or do we just say, just do what God tells you to do, pray and ask God and just do it? And Frank said, Danny, you, we got to have the opportunity. It just, it's so much more helpful. He said, well, my wife and I, when we write it down, we got something to aim for, and we've put a number there that's, that we know is going to take sacrifice and some effort, and, and it gives us something to aim for. And he said, and besides, and then when we exceed it, it gives us something to be excited about. I said, you know what, Frank, you're right. We're going to follow Joshua's example. We're going to write it down. We're going to declare it. We're going to say, we're a part. I'm in. And some of you, and you're just, you're in the exploring section of, of, of this journey with Jesus, and you're just wanting to know more and ask some questions. And like I said earlier, you're in the right place. You've come to the right place to learn about Jesus. And he is saying to you, hey, Make a commitment to me and be bold and public about it and stand and say it. I'm following Jesus and Jesus is Lord. And we want to celebrate that with you. And if you have questions and you want to know more, I'd love to talk to you. After the service, I can talk to you. You can go to the welcome centers. There are friendly people there with a name tag on and a smile on their face. Or you can even text the word connect if you're watching today. And somebody will contact you today to help you navigate and answer questions about what it means to follow Jesus. There is no more important commitment than that. But for those that are sort of following already, every single day God's calling us for commitments. And it helps us to have a clearer understanding of him. To understand who he is and who it is that's asking us this. And that, that this requires us casting aside and cutting away from other things. And ultimately... When I declare my commitment, I have no idea the impact that it's making on me or the impact that it's making on the people around me. 
Sometimes we think the decisions and commitments that we make are inconsequential. They're not. This week I heard a story of one of our church members. Her name is Helen. Helen's um, been on our staff team here for a while, but more importantly, a long time ago when she was just getting married, our student pastor at the time asked she and her husband to serve in student ministry. Hey, would you come serve? And she and her husband made a commitment to start serving in student ministry. And for more than 20 years, Helen met with 10th or 11th graders as they came through the student ministry and made friends with these young ladies and began to impact them and pray with them and, and minister to them. And over the years, two decades worth of serving, following out a commitment, I thought to myself, I wonder how many weekends she had the opportunity to go to the beach or go out of town or stay home and do nothing or sit in the service and just listen. And she said, no, I committed to something. I said I was gonna do it and I'm committed. And she showed up week after week after week after week. And she talked to girl after girl after girl, 10th and 11th grade, year after year after year. And today, some 30 years after it all began, today, this congregation is littered with people who are impacted by Helen's small groups. You can't imagine. This week, I got a note from one of them about Helen. She said this, she's saying it to Helen. I'll never be able to repay you for the countless hours that you spent with me at Orange Avenue Starbucks. Thank you for the coffee, for the many words of encouragement and all the prayers that you prayed for me and just for being a listening ear through so many seasons of my life. You've been an example of what it means to be faithful through the good times and the bad times. And that's made a huge impact on me. That girl is a mom of three today, married. She's our missionary, serving halfway around the world in a country whose name I can't tell you because they don't allow missionaries in their country. It's a missionary telling people about Jesus who have never heard the name Jesus, impacted by Helen's commitment. I think to myself, how many Helens are sitting here today? That close to making a commitment and you have no, we have no idea the impact it will have. You know this confetti? It's not just shreds of colored paper. The confetti is people. It's people like you who are sitting here today. The Kathy Enfinger and Andy Yaris and Marjorie Price and hundreds and hundreds more envisioned one day somebody will be sitting in this room They'll be hearing about Jesus for the very first time because of the commitment we make. And now, it's our turn. Because one day, down the road, there'll be more confetti. Let's pray. 
Thank you, God, for a rich legacy. You know how grateful I am, how humbled I am by it, for the many who have invested in me. I'm so thankful. What a great people. And God, would you raise up another army of people who are passionately following you, giving it all for the sake of those to come who don't know you. They, they may live here in our city or they may live here in our country or they may live halfway around the world. Help us to be the people that are out there trying to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the good news about Jesus and your love. I pray, God, help us to be that kind of people. Inspire each of us to be people like Joshua who live commitment lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.